0: Brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. Today I have for you a educational piece on modernism. It's an article written by the late John Venari for Catholic Family News originally. A special thank you to Matt Gaspers of Catholic Family News, who gave me permission to read this article for you. He wrote this, I think, in 2014 about the... Um, the synod going on at the time and he connects the dots with really an underlying error of modernism that most people don't understand and have never really confronted in a way that is digestible for people and it's sort of an inversion of the logical thinking of the catholic faith the modernists took the took and described the way the church used to approach issues of any kind and inverted it remember about what we say about inversion this is sort of another diabolical inversion here, and they, you know, they inverted that logic, and he explains that for you, and he gives you some examples that I, you know, referred to, you know, with the typical James Martin topic kind of references and that kind of thing. So without further ado, and again, thank you to Catholic Family News, which is publishing an article I've written for them in their coming June issue, so look for that, and look for a post for me about that. But um, without further ado, John Venari. The Psychotic Synod by John Venari The current crisis in the Church has not been a crisis of faith, but of a very grave malady of the intellect. Quote from Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange There is no part of the Catholic truth which they have left untouched, none that they do not strive to corrupt. At Vatican II, and in the post-conciliar period, modernist destruction was applied primarily to doctrine and liturgy, Now it is applied to Catholic morals. The spirit of modernism is the true spirit at work in the recent synod. The system operates on the modernist notion that certain aspects of Catholic truth can change over time. Those scheming for change may describe their work as a greater openness, a less rigid attitude, calls for a new balance, an emphasis on mercy, pastoral solicitude, and allowing ourselves to be surprised by the God of surprises. But this is all camouflage and clumsy camouflage at that. The real principle at work is the modernist tenet that there could be some transformation of the dogmatic message of the church over the course of centuries. The entire synodal enterprise is modernism in action, which is the same destructive poltergeist at work in the church for the last 50 plus years. We will demonstrate this truth and will reveal the little-known modernist inductive method that is crucial to understanding October's radical synod. As long as the Synod and today's Vatican is in the hands of those who believe Catholic truth can change over time, the result, at best, will be a status quo of today's diabolic disorientation. At worst, we will see the dismantling of Catholic morals to the point of praising certain quote-unquote positive aspects of cohabitation and the James Martin topic, as was published in the appalling Synod midterm document of October 13th. Modernism, a Malady of the Intellect Father Geragou Lagrange is noted already, said in 1945, while opposing the agents of the modernist New Theology, that the current crisis in the Church has, quote, been not a crisis of faith but of a grave malady of the intellect. A central error of modernism is the belief that truth can change over time. This error is deeply rooted malaise in the 20th century Church. It is an error that pre-Vatican II popes repeatedly attacked. In 1907, Pope Pius X warned that modernists, quote, pervert the eternal concept of truth. He further condemned in his Syllabus of Errors the heretical notion, quote, Truth is no more immutable than man himself, since it evolves with him, in him, and through him. In 1924, the same error is still with us, and the Pope must act again. Here, Pius XI condemns the false proposition that quote, truth is always in a state of becoming, and consists in a progressive alignment of the understanding with life, as in all progression nothing is ever determined or fixed. In 1946, the same error remains this time surfacing in a repackaged version of modernism called the New Theology. Here, Pius XII warned, quote, There is a good deal of talk, but without the necessary clarity of concept, about a, quote, New Theology, which must be in constant transformation, following the example of all other things in the world, which are in a constant state of flux and movement, without ever reaching their term. If we were to accept such an opinion, what would become of the unchangeable dogmas of the Catholic faith, and what would become of the unity and stability of the faith? End quote. Pope Pius XII closes with a rhetorical question. He is telling us the new theology will bring about the destruction of the unchangeable dogmas of the Catholic faith and the dismantling of the unity and stability of the faith. In other words, the very state of affairs in which we now live, the very state of affairs brought about by Vatican II, wherein the new theology triumphed. The proponents of the modernist new theology are names we well know. Fathers Henry du Lubac, Dominic Chenu, Karl Rahner, Hans Urs von Balthasar, Yves Congar, Henry Bullard, jo- Joseph Ratzinger, Archbishop Karol Woltia, and others. The who's who list of Vatican II Paridi. What remains is to explain a key method by which a modernist change of doctrine was effected by conciliar theology, and to show the same principles operative in the 2014 Synod was, as was recently admitted by a jubilant progressivist. The new doctrine. Modernist theologians overturned the entire theological method to distort Catholic truth. I ask the reader to stay with me as I explain, since there are definite insights to be gained in understanding their methodology. In 2003, I attended, as an observer, an interfaith conference held in Fatima, Portugal. Jesuit Father Jacques Dupuis, the popular interreligious theologian, gave a keynote speech regarding the Council of Florence's infallible doctrine no salvation outside the church. Dupuis said in the discussed, quote, there is no need to invoke here that horrible text from the Council of Florence in 1442, quote. Father Dupuis also said the purpose of dialogue is not to convert the others to Catholicism, but rather to help a Christian become a better Christian and others to become better members of their own. Father Dupuis further claimed that the Holy Spirit is present and operative in various sacred books. He is present and operative in the sacred rites of any specific religion that our host will not let me name how did those at the fatima conference refer, react to father Dupuy's audacity with grand applause even more disturbing the room contained the brass the top brass of the portuguese hierarchy including the fatima shrine rector bishop of fatima cardinal patriarch of lisbon and even archbishop fitzgerald from the vatican worse the next day archbishop michael fitzgerald then prefect of the vatican's pontifical council for interreligious dialogue told the congress quote Father Dupuis yesterday explained the theological basis of the establishment of relations with peoples of other ways. In other words, Archbishop Fitzgerald praised Dupuy's heresies. Why am I telling the story? Because it has direct bearing on the modernist principles at work at the 2014 Synod. Deductive versus Inductive. How did Father Dupuis arrive at this new and false notion of Catholic quote-unquote truth? His answer is in his book 1997-2001's Toward a Christian Theology of Religious Pluralism and in his 2003 work Christianity and the Religions from Confrontation to Dialogue. In Toward a Christian Theology of Religious Pluralism, he claims that there are two methods at arriving at a theological conclusion, the deductive, the old method, and the inductive, the new approach. In the deductive method, we start with an unchangeable dogma of the Catholic Church. We then look to a given situation, social phenomenon, or historical development, and interpret the situation by means of the dogma. The dogma is fixed, it cannot change, and it is the permanent basis on which to derive any theological conclusion or pastoral solution. An example, starting around 1910, there was a new movement among Protestants called the Ecumenical Movement, an enterprise that captured the imagination of many. How does a Catholic regard it? He starts with the doctrine, no salvation outside the church, and concludes that any reproachment with Protestants must have one purpose alone, to bring the non-Catholic into the church. As Pius XI taught, there is but one way in which the unity of Christians may be fostered, and that is by fostering the return to the one true Catholic Church of Christ of those who are separated from it. Thus, you start with Catholic dogma, which cannot be altered in any way, and arrive at sound conclusion based on dogma. Jacques Dupuis says, however, that this is one method, but it is not the only method. There is also the inductive method, which I will soon describe. Dupuis faults the deductive method because 1. it is drawn from abstract principles. 2. it allegedly leaves one cut off from reality. 3. it is prejudicially dogmatic to outside reality. Dupuis says the deductive method is now replaced by a new approach, the inductive method, which he says follows from Vatican II's Optatum Totius. Here is how the new inductive approach works. We will quote Dupuis and then give a quick explanation. Dupuy says, quote, A mythological about-face took place with the progressive introduction of a reverse method, which in contradiction to the earlier ones can be qualified as inductive. It is no longer a question of going from the principles to concrete application, but in the opposite direction, or taking as a point of departure from the reality as experienced today with the problems that it raises. To search for in light of renewed messages through theological reflection a christian solution to those problems this quote is found in the opening pages of toward a christian theology of religious pluralism he lays out his principles from the beginning here's what dupuy is saying in the inductive method we do not start with the unchanging dogma we cannot have rigorism as jesuit bergoglio reminds us at every opportunity Rather, we start with the lived experience of those in the world around us. Then, starting with this lived experience, we scan various church documents and passages from Scripture to build a theology or new pastoral practices that takes these real-life experiences into account. Dupuy used this inductive method to build a new theology of interrelations, dialogue, and ecumenism. For example, in his talk at Fatima, Dupuis twisted the meaning of the opening of St. John's Gospel when it speaks of Christ, Quote, it was the true light that enlightens every man who comes in the world. Dupuy claimed we can therefore conclude that men of all religion have this true light of Christ inside them, whether they know it or not. They already incorporated into God through this light, no need to become Catholic, and therefore, sacred scripture supports interreligious dialogue. Now, here's the catch. Father Dupuy got in trouble over this book with Cardinal Ratzinger under John Paul II in January 2001. Ratzinger published a formal quote-unquote notification warning of five problems with Dupuis' book, which we quote below. There are errors concerning, one, on the soul and universal salvific mediation of Jesus Christ, two, on the unicity and completeness of the divine religion of Jesus Christ, three, on the universal salvific action of the Holy Spirit, four, on the orientation of all human beings in the Church, five, on the value and salvific function of religious traditions. But do you notice what is missing? There's no warning against Dupuy's modernist inductive theological methodology that he states in the beginning of the book. Any well-trained Catholic seminarian or priest will recognize that the principles are where the action is. If the principles are bad, the outcome is necessarily perverse. Thus, the flawed principles must first be condemned. Cardinal Ratzinger and John Paul II did not say a word about the flawed inductive principle. They left the principle intact, most likely because this approach is a constitutive principle within their modernist new theology. Ratzinger only warned against the effects of the bad principle while leaving the cause intact. We know this is the case since Jacques Dupuis repeated his modernist principle in his 2003 book. Ratzinger did not condemn the inductive method. In fact, he didn't say a word about it either way, so Dupuis saw himself free to spout it again. At the beginning of his new book, Christianity and the Religions, From Confrontation to Dialogue, Dupuis says, quote, With such an inductive method, the problem is no longer coming down from principles to concrete applications, but rather moving in the opposite direction. That of starting from reality is now experienced with the problem that it entails in order to seek a Christian solution to such problems in light of the revealed message and through theological reflection. He goes on to speak of this new approach with regard to interreligious dialogue and concludes, These are indeed questions, but not abstract, but quite concrete. That demand of the theology of religions a detailed response based on sincere reinterpretation of revealed data. Did you catch that? We start with the reality of those around us, then look to scripture and church doctrine to effectively build a new practical or pastoral theology to deal with it based on sincere reinterpretation of the revealed data. In this new system, divine revelation must serve the historic circumstances, not the other way around. The inductive synod. So here's the question: What has this to do with the synod? Everything, as the 2014 extraordinary synod operated on the inductive method. Jesuit Father Thomas Reese bo- boasted of this fact in October 2017. National Catholic Reporter write up in his article, "How the synod process is different under Pope Francis." Father Reese lists four points on this topic, but delivers the payload in the second heading: inductive rather than deductive. He writes, "Quote." Past synods tended to start with church teaching and talk about how it could be applied to the world. This follows the classical, philosophical, and theological method that the bishops learned in their seminaries. In other words, the deductive method. Reese then quotes Archbishop Paul-Andre de Rocher, president of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, who says, What's happening within the synod is we're seeing a more inductive way of reflecting, starting from the true situation of people and trying to figure out what's going on here. Rees continues, The synod participants, the archbishop said, are finding that the lived experience of people is also a theological source, what we call a theological source, a place of theological reflection. This approach, explains Rees, beginning with the data of experience is familiar to many in the church, such as those involved in social justice work. Further, those involved in pastoral planning also do situation assessment at the first stage of planning. Many contemporary theologians also reflect on the lived experience of Christians in the theological reflection. Rather than taking an ideal, i.e. immutable Catholic dogma, and imposing it on reality, one first reflects on reality. This method goes a long way of explaining, for example, Cardinal Caspar's proposal for the Synod. He starts not with the immutable Catholic doctrine, but with the lived experience of those who broke the nuptial sacrament and then got the secular parody of it, and he describes them as Catholics who are in difficult circumstances. Thus, we should apply in Dupuis' words a revealed re- a reinterpretation of the revealed data to arrive at a pastoral solution that allows them to receive the Holy Eucharist. Here's another quote-unquote concrete reality confronting the Synod Fathers. The vice of the James Martin topic is on the rise, and a growing number of Catholics confront their pro- this problem in their homes and families. The Synod thus ho- hosted the uninhibited Ron and Mavis Parola of Sydney who spoke to the Synod openly and embarrassingly about their 57 year marital relationship. They also told of another family with a James Martin type son and how the family welcomed the the uh, target of his affection to the family's Christmas celebration. They fully believed the church's teaching and they knew their grandchildren would see them welcome the son etc. into their family. Their response can be summed up in the words, He's our son. England's Cardinal Nichols told Associated Press, quote, The Synod gave them a round of applause. Thus we see the inductive method at work, a reinterpretation of revealed data, that Catholics should be welcoming and non-judgmental in those, for those in that situation. This twisted thinking manifested itself in the midterm term synod document where we read, quote, Those like James Martin have gifts and qualities to offer to the Christian community. Are we capable of welcoming these people, guaranteeing them a fraternal space in our communities? Often they wish to encounter a church that offers them a welcoming home. Are our communities capable of providing that, accepting and valuing their sin that cries out to heaven, without compromising Catholic doctrine on family and the nuptial sacrament? The midterm document further said, "Without Without denying the moral problems connected to this, it has to be noted that there are cases in which mutual aid to the point of sacrifice constitutes a precious support in the, in the life of those in this state the inductive method at work last example vast numbers of catholics are ignorant of catholic morals there are also many who know church teaching ignore it and live a lifestyle in defiance of the sixth and ninth commandment many cohabitate many dismiss church doctrine and discipline regarding the nuptial sacrament Since the growth of this problem is the lived reality, we should perhaps look at the positive aspects of stable cohabitation. We should also, as was proposed in the Synod, create new language. And we should no longer use harsh terminology such as living in sin, for it may be hurtful to the person living this disordered life. Starting with the reality of the lived experience, we see the call for an effective reinterpretation of the real data. This new and insipid approach based on the inductive method will certainly not include the stern warning of Saint Paul about such things that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 to 10. Once we understand the nature of the inductive method, we find it not necessary to get too wrapped up in the avalanche of details regarding the Synod. We now know the game of the modernists. We see how it continues to play itself out, even if the final synod document appears more conservative than the outlandish midterm report. Malady of intellect gallops on. The James Martin-friendly statements in the mid-term document that had James Martin's uh, fans cheering and other problematic statements were scaled back due to a pushback from conservative prelates to more careful wording for the final synod document on October 19th. Despite this, the world media clearly saw Bergoglio as a maverick pontiff as they interpret the final synod document as a defeat for Pope Francis. Yet the document was not so much a defeat but a momentary setback. The radicals have succeeded in propagating the idea that the morality of the topic in question is a debatable issue. The magnitude of this catastrophe cannot be overemphasized, especially since Pope Francis does not see it as his duty to issue a public correction that resettles the matter once and for all. Furthermore, James Martin-friendly cardinals, bishops, priests, and theologians involved in the synod will maintain their positions of influence in the chanceries, pulpits, classrooms, seminaries, and in the confessional. St. Pius X would have jettisoned these men from their positions quicker than you can say syllabus. Veteran Vatican journalist John Thavies noted, quote, It's clear that the landscape has changed. Pope Francis has pointed the church in a new direction. The bishops have taken the first cautious steps down that path. In fact, Francis's final speech called for a church whose doors must remain wide open to, quote, receive the needy, the repentant, and not only the just or those who think they are perfect. A petulant sophomoric remark that distorts the issues at hand. Given the appearance of even-handedness, Francis warns against the hostile rigidity of the so-called traditionalists and the false charity of so-called liberals and progressivists. Francis further said the Church has a year to mature to engage in deeper study concerning the ideas and proposals for the First Synod. The final relatio of October 19th will be the guiding text for the Ordinary Synod in October 2015. At the end of Francis' closing speech, the prelates gave him a five-minute standing ovation. Germany's Cardinal Marx, who believes those that James Martin focuses on that are in stable unions, must be regarded as something of value, characterized the 2014 Synod as three steps forward and two steps back. Cardinal Louis Antonio Tagle, Archbishop of Manila, stated immediately after the Synod, the the question of those who have broken the nuptial sacrament remains open. John Tavis observed, quote, The ideas and proposals launched at the Synod will be coming back. The, uh, Nicholas, superior general of the Society of Jesus, told immediate Religious News to watch for a possible revolution a year from now. As St. Pius X warned of the modernists, quote, There is no part of Catholic truth which they leave untouched, none that they do not strive to corrupt. The progressivists are well aware that they have Papa Bergoglio as their ally and will work feverishly over the next year to further war against the reality that truth cannot change. They will cling to their inductive method to create a new pastoral theology, that fits the alleged needs of the true situation of the people. They will pretend that closed theological questions remain open questions. Their goal is to change certain aspects of Catholic morality. The New Theology soldiers on, producing, as Pius XII warned, the dismantling of the unity and stability of the faith. The malady of the intellect kicked into higher gear by October's Psychotic Synod will be with us for some time. We will publicly oppose this latest destructive initiative with all our strength. Again, that was used with kind permission from Catholic Family News. I'll have a link to the article, which was not published on Catholic Family News' website, or is not available anymore there, but I found it elsewhere online. I'll have a link to that in the pinned comment so you can see it. And again, I have an article coming out in Catholic Family News for their June issue about some of the very kinds of statements Francis made here. So keep an eye out for when that actually is released, and you'll get a link from me Uh, in the comments of a video or in the sources page at returntotradition.org at that time. But does this all sound familiar to you? It should. I mean, this was from more the beginning of Francis's reign, 2014. Things haven't changed much, have they? Let me know in the comments what you thought about this. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.